We turn again now to God's Word. You can see in your bulletin that we're turning in the New Testament to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. Our theme in this sermon series is what we've been calling the habits of grace. The Christian life is all about the grace of God. It's a life in which we seek to taste and see that that grace is good. And God deals graciously with us in part as we regularly, as we habitually seek and serve Him. Thus, the habits of grace. And last week, last Sunday morning, the particular habit that we got to talking about was prayer. The Christian ought to talk to God every day. As Christians, we need to be a people who talk to God every day. And remember, just by way of review, last week we went to Ephesians 6 to reinforce that, that passage about the armor of God, where Paul says that we, we ought to be a people who pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And remember, what we took from that last Sunday is that we ought to be constant in prayer. In other words, prayer ought to be the steady hum of our lives day after day. And we ought to be continuing in prayer. In other words, we ought to stick to it and not give up. And we ought to be comprehensive in prayer. We can and we should go to God and talk to God about all sorts of things Why? Because he's a father who loves his children like that. Constant, continuing, and comprehensive. Our prayer lives ought to be like that throughout the week. Well, this morning we're going to revisit the subject of prayer, and we're going to Hebrews 4 to do that. The the passage is printed there in your bulletin. If that helps, you can follow along there or in your Bible, or you can just listen as I read. So listen now to Hebrews 4, beginning at verse 14. We will focus on verse 16 today, but let's begin at 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we would practice right now in these moments what we just heard about. For as a congregation right now, we would draw near to your throne of grace for mercy and grace to help in time of need. And this moment is such a time as that. Father, we need you. We need you to open our eyes to behold the wonders that you have for us in the word. We need you to stir our hearts 
so that we rise up from this place resolved again to trust and obey. We need you. And thank you that you are a God who hears the prayers of his people and who pours out mercy and grace just like that. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can understand why, in some cases, it might be an intimidating thing for a person to have to approach somebody who's prominent, somebody who's powerful, and actually speak to that person. That's when fears rise. That's when palms get sweaty. That's when tongues get tied. It's daunting. It can be intimidating. The young student who's got to walk down the long hallway and go into the principal's office. The new intern who has to take the elevator up to the very top floor and deliver a message to the CEO. The relatively low-level staffer who finds himself ushered into the Oval Office in order to participate in a briefing. In a situation like that, it can be an intimidating thing to draw near and speak because you realize you're drawing near to prominence and power. Even more so if what you have to say amounts in some way to being vulnerable with that prominent, powerful somebody. In a situation like that, drawing near might feel like the last thing you want to do Turning around and running away might be more appealing. I know I've mentioned this before, but for me as a kid, there was something about that scene in The Wizard of Oz. Dorothy and her friends making their way down that long hallway to see the wizard trembling. The lion, for sure, was not drawn to drawing near, and he was not alone. And for the Christian... Prayer can feel that way. And you can, you can understand why it might. Just the thought that we would approach the Almighty and speak. And not only that, but that we would speak in such a way as to bear our souls for the Christian. That might be such an intimidating prospect as to be practically paralyzing. Do I dare... Speak to God. Do I dare speak to God about the things that are on my own heart and the things that are going on in my own life? Thankfully, the Bible is chock full of all sorts of incentives and encouragements and comforts so that we do draw near to pray after all. Actually, so that we draw near with confidence. Imagine that. Not only speaking to God, but doing so. Near to Him with confidence. And this little passage in Hebrews 4, this little passage is big with those encouragements. So let's turn here today. Let's learn here today. We want to be a people who are going to God 
throughout the week, every day, throughout the day. Well, let's draw near to Hebrews 4 and be encouraged to that end. And we are, as I said before I read it, we are going to focus on verse 16. But just to get our bearings, notice notice what he says in verses 14 and 15 to lead up to it. Because it all flows together. Look at verse 14. He says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold fast our confession. In other words, let us hold fast, let us hold on to the gospel that we have confessed. Let's hold on to it. And why? Well, because of the high priest that we have. That's the way he puts it. Jesus, the Son of God. A great high priest who has passed through the heavens. An exalted high priest who in his exaltation has even transcended the highest limits of our realm so as to enter another realm on our behalf. With our eyes on him, let's hold fast to our confession. And then look at verse 15, because then he keeps going and he says even more about this great high priest that we have. Look at verse 15. He says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So this Son of God, he took to himself a true human nature in the Incarnation, and then in that nature, he went on to live a true human life, and he lived it in this world, in this cursed world, in this present evil age, and because he did so, he's able to sympathize with us. I even love the double negative in there. He's not unable to sympathize with us. Because we can, we can fear that. We can suspect that. We might harbor that doubt. Surely he is unable to sympathize with us. And Hebrews 4 says, not so. He knows what it's like to feel weakness. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He doesn't know what it's like to sin, but we wouldn't want him to. In Jesus Christ, we have all of the sympathy, all the sympathy, all of the solidarity that we want and need, no more, no less. So we've got a great high priest. We've got a sympathetic high priest. And after saying all of that in verses 14 and 15, then he says what he says in verse 16, which is the verse we're focusing on. Look at verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Listen to it again. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, in order to make the most of this one verse, we're going to make our way through three points. And I'll tell you right now what they are. Point one, God's throne. Point two, our approach. And point three, God's provision. So those three, God's throne, and then our approach to it, and then the provision that he makes in our lives as we're a people who pray. So first of all, God's throne, 
He's called here, wondrously, the throne of grace. The throne of grace. What is grace? It's God's favor shown to those who don't deserve it. And what a difference it makes that the throne of God should now be called that the throne of grace. Think about that. It is, it is breathtaking that the throne of God is now labeled that, the throne of grace. Just stop and think about all of the other things that God's throne might be called. And I mean rightly, truly called. The throne of God, it is the throne of glory. And it is. It is the throne of holiness. It is the throne of justice. It is the throne of majesty. It is the throne of righteousness. It is the throne of truth. It is the throne of wrath. You could call it all of those things, and you'd be right. Because it is all of those things. And if God were to deal with us sinners according to justice and nothing more, according to what we truly deserve, well, then his throne would be all of those things that I just said and nothing more. But that's just it. He doesn't. God doesn't deal with us sinners according to strict justice and nothing more. Not us sinners who have come to him in Christ. He deals graciously with us. He shows us his favor, his saving favor, in a way that is perfectly, gloriously consistent with all of those other things, like glory, holiness, justice, majesty, righteousness, truth, and wrath. He deals graciously with us now as those in Christ. He calls us to his throne. And he welcomes us when we get there. And he listens to what we say when we speak to him there. And he blesses us as a result of our drawing near to him. Because he forgives us. And he changes us. The throne of grace. It is a marvel that it should be called that at all. I love how John Calvin makes this point. Listen to Calvin. Calvin writes this, quote, The ground of our assurance is that the throne of God is not arrayed in naked majesty to confound us, but now it is adorned with a new name, even that of grace, which ought ever to be remembered whenever we shun the presence of God. For the glory of God, when we contemplate that glory alone, can produce no other effect in us than to fill us with despair. So awful is his throne. The writer then, that is the writer of Hebrews, that he might remedy our diffidence and free our minds from all fear and trembling, adorns it with grace and gives it a name which can allure us By its sweetness. As though he had said, Since God has affixed to his throne, as it were, the banner of grace, there are no reasons why his majesty should drive us away. End quote. And that's a great image. The throne of God, as Calvin puts it, has been given a new name. You might say it's been given a Christian name. 
And that name is Throne of Grace. And of course, it's, it's not as if there's really some banner that we can see with our eyes that says Throne of Grace. But in a sense, there is, because what we can see with our eyes is Hebrews 4.16, printed in our Bibles in black and white. This verse is the banner that helps us to see with the eyes of faith that the throne of God has been given this new name, Throne of Grace. Matthew Henry puts it this way. He writes, quote, We are indeed to come with reverence and godly fear, but not with terror and amazement. Not as if we were dragged before the tribunal of justice, but instead kindly invited to the mercy seat where grace reigns and loves to exert and exalt itself toward us. End quote. Again, it's a great image. Matthew Henry saying prayer shouldn't be a matter of being dragged full of dread to the throne of justice. Yes, the throne of God is the throne of justice, no denying. But in Christ, it's not only that. It also now has this new name. It's also the throne of grace. And so we don't have to be dragged there. We run there with our eyes on that banner, throne of grace, and with our eyes on the great high priest who is seated there. So that's our first point this morning. God's throne, bask in the revelation that it now bears that name, throne of grace. That brings us then to our second point, which is our approach to it. If it really is, and it is, a throne of grace now, well then, how do we relate to it? How do we approach it? Well, what does he say? He says, let us then with confidence draw near. Because it is a throne of grace now, we can go there with confidence, we can go there with boldness. God's not going to turn us away. God's not going to turn a deaf ear to the things that we say when we get there. We don't have to go to the throne of God anxious, wondering, worrying. Put it this way, we don't have to go to the throne of grace the way that Esther went to the throne of Ahasuerus. Remember that moment in that great Bible story in the Old Testament, the story of Esther. Mordecai has said to Esther, you've got to go to the throne of the king. You've got to draw near and plead for your people. You've got to draw near and plead for mercy in a time of need. And what do we read in Esther 4? It says this, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, Esther says, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. Esther 4. That's the way the people of that kingdom thought about their king. And about his throne. And about the prospect of drawing near to it. Now Esther eventually did go to the throne of Ahasuerus. 
But at least at first, she didn't draw near with all of the confidence that she might have had. Why? Because she hadn't been called. And so she couldn't be sure that the king wanted her there. For all she knew, drawing near was going to get her killed. Now, eventually, those fears were relieved in her case because of how things unfolded. But when she first drew near, she couldn't have known. And for the Christian, it is altogether different. We can already draw near to the throne of grace with confidence. Why? Because we know our king. And we know that he's gracious. And because we know that we've been called. It's a standing invitation so that there's no question but that God wants us there. Our father wants us there as his children. And because of the advocate that we've got seated right there in the throne room and his name is Jesus. That's why we can draw near with confidence. Because of the character of our king, because our king has called us, and because our king has given us an advocate and his name is Jesus. And it's as if when we draw near to prayer, there we see him. Jesus, our great high priest, Extending a hand to welcome us in. Again, listen to Calvin. This is how Calvin puts it. Quote, if we were indeed fully persuaded that Christ is of his own accord stretching forth his hand to us, who of us would not come in perfect confidence? End quote. Again, a great image. We go to the throne of grace, and there he is, Jesus Christ, and he's not just sitting there still and silent. He's stretching out a hand to us. He's saying, come. I understand. I remember. I remember remember what it's like to be weak. I remember what it was like to be tempted. Jesus, our great high priest, extends a hand and can say, in effect, I've been there. Not as a sinner, but as one who entered into the experience of weakness and temptation and need. I've been there. Take my hand. And this is something we need to appreciate how blessed we are to be Christians living when we do, walking with God when we do in in salvation history. This is something that's new in history. New with the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. This is one of the many ways, and this is a running theme in the book of Hebrews, one of the many ways it's better to be a believer after Christ's work than before it. He's at the right hand of the throne of God now in heaven in a way that he was not before in Old Testament times. It's not that the throne of God wasn't a throne of grace before Christ's work. It was. It's just that it's a whole lot clearer now so that we can come with even more confidence now. It's better now. With the eyes of faith, To be able to see our sympathetic high priest at God's right hand, knowing him and knowing what he came into the world to be and to do on our behalf. 
It's better now. So listen to some of the words we're going to sing later in our service when we come around to the song, Behold the Throne. Listen to John Newton. Newton's poem, which we're going to sing. Behold the throne, the throne of grace. The promise calls and draws us near. And then this. There Jesus shows a smiling face and waits to hear and answer prayer. My soul, ask what you will. You cannot be too bold since his own blood he shed. What else can he withhold? That's the language of confidence in prayer. Not a misguided confidence that says, I'm going to get absolutely anything and everything from God that I ask of him. No, this is actually a confidence that's better than that. The confidence that comes from knowing that because of Christ, I'm welcome here at this throne. And I'm going to be heard here. And I'm going to be blessed according to God's wisdom and ways. I'm going to be blessed for having come here. So there's that. What about our approach? We approach with confidence. And then this other point as well about our approach. We draw near. He uses the language of nearness here. Let us then with confidence draw near. We don't email God. We go right up to the throne and talk to him about what's on our hearts and minds about what's going on in our lives. Now, we don't go right up to him and talk to him as if he were a peer, as if he were our equal. Now, remember what Matthew Henry says, quote, we are indeed to come with reverence and godly fear, end quote. And he was right to say that. Prayer is a lowly, sinful creature speaking to the lofty, holy creator, and we dare not forget that. And also, we don't go right up to him and talk to him without a mediator. We do need the mediation of the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us and who intercedes for us. But the point is, Jesus isn't a mediator who blocks us from God. It's not as if we we start to approach the throne of grace and Jesus rushes up and says, Oh, no, 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 you can't go close. Stop right there. Tell me what's on your heart and mind, and I'll take it from here. I'll, I'll, I'll relay to the Father what you want, but you, you can't go close. Jesus is not that kind of mediator. He's not a mediator who blocks us from God, who keeps us at a distance from God. Jesus is a mediator who presents us to God. Jesus stretches forth his hand, and we take his hand, and he takes us right to the throne. And there we cry out with a sense of nearness. We cry out, Abba, Father. Father, I need you. I need your grace. And this one, this glorious one, whose hand I'm holding, died for me that it might be so. We can speak to the Father with that kind of nearness in Christ because he is that kind of mediator, a mediator who takes us by the hand 
and leads us there. That's our approach with confidence and with nearness. And that brings us then finally to our third point, which is God's provision. We've talked about this throne, now named the throne of grace. We've talked about our approach to it with confidence, with nearness. Well then, what's the point of it all? What's what's the goal? What's the outcome? What's the provision that God makes in the lives of those who draw near to him like this? Well, two words, mercy and grace. And what a lovely pair, mercy and grace. There's a proper sense of expectancy that we can have whenever we draw near to the throne of grace. Those who draw near do find grace. He actually blesses those who come to him, though they don't deserve it. And those who draw near really do receive mercy. God really does bless those who are in dire straits and who deserve to be left there. He doesn't leave us there in his own ways, according to his own wisdom. He rescues us. It's all mercy and grace. And you know, that runs the gamut. Like forgiveness. When we have failed God, mercy and grace. And protection from our enemies, including that one evil enemy who is unseen, mercy and grace. And even transformation, because we don't want to stay like this. We don't want to remain the people that we are today, and we won't, because of mercy and grace. And notice this as well. It's mercy and grace to help in time of need. In time of need. Brothers and sisters, what is it that we really need in this life? What do we really need? Well, by all means, we do need daily bread. Jesus himself taught us to ask for it because we are Creatures, we're embodied creatures living on planet Earth. Yes, we do need daily bread. And so we ought to ask for earthly provision and protection. But the point is, we've got needs that are a whole lot deeper than that. You can have a pantry full of daily bread and still be the neediest, emptiest person in the whole world. Deeper than our need of daily bread is our need of God, his grace, his mercy. Again, listen to these words of John Newton that we're going to sing in just a few minutes. Thine image, Lord, bestow on me thy presence, Lord, and all thy love. I ask to serve thee here below and reign with thee in heaven above. Teach me to live by faith. Conform my will to thine. Give victory or death and then in glory shine. We're going to sing that not too long from now. And those are the things that we most deeply, most profoundly need. The image of God worked in us. The presence and the love of God made real to us. Grace to serve him and to trust in him. Mercy to press on until we reign and shine in heaven. That's what we really need. And so we'll keep going in that song, and we will sing. Beyond our thoughts, our utmost needs, 
His love and power alone can bless. To praying souls, He always grants more than they know or can express. That rich atoning blood, which sprinkled round we see, provides for those who come an all-prevailing plea. It is the Lord's command forever to provide. Lord, open up your hand that I may be supplied. And he does. The Lord opens up his hand and gives. He supplies. He provides. Now, as I've been saying, he'll do that in his time and in his way, according to his own unsearchable, at times inscrutable wisdom. There may be times when you've prayed and it felt like God didn't help you. We can be be honest about that. Because even after praying for grace to meet a particular temptation, you didn't meet it. You still sinned, you still fell, you still failed God. And so it might feel like God didn't meet your need in your time of need, including a time of temptation. But of course, God knows. He knows our needs better than we do. And God knows when what we really deeply need is a lesson in humility in patience, in persistence, in heavenly-mindedness. In his time and in his way, he'll even mercifully and graciously use our falls and our failings to bring about some good, some eternal good, to meet some deep need. He will open his hand and he will supply. He might not do that exactly in the way that you asked or wanted, But he'll do it. And in heaven at least, you'll be able to look back and see that he did. And you'll be able to look back and see that, yes, though I couldn't see it at the time, he was good and wise and mighty toward me all along. So, brothers and sisters, those three this morning, God's throne, our approach, God's provision, and I want to urge you today, to take each and every one of those, all three of them, seriously. Take them personally. That throne, it is the throne of grace. And I urge you this morning, whenever you go to God in prayer, open the eyes of faith and see that banner with that new name on it, throne of grace. And if it helps... Open your eyes and look at Hebrews 4.16 to be reminded that something so staggering is actually true. And our approach, your approach to that throne, you can go with confidence. Imagine that. Are you afraid that he doesn't want you there? That God's gotten tired of you? That he's not listening, that he's not caring. No, you go with confidence and you go right up to him in Christ because he is your father now and he doesn't want you at a distance. You go right up to him in Christ and bear your soul and lay your desires at his feet. And as for God's provision, 
Mercy and grace to help in time of need. I've found this to be true in my own experience. I suspect you have as well. One of the great hindrances to our drawing near. One of the reasons that we don't regularly, habitually, urgently draw near to the throne of grace in the way we've considered this morning is a diminished sense of our own neediness. Because we can lose sight of it and carry on and press on thinking that we're doing just fine all by ourselves. Do you know how needy you are of forgiveness, of of spiritual protection, of spiritual transformation, or have you lost sight of that? Especially when things are going well for us, we can slip into this mindset that we're doing okay, we're not really all that needy now. And when we do, we end up treating prayer as if it were a wouldn't-it-be-nice proposition. I'm doing okay, I'm not particularly needy, but I'll go ahead and draw near to God's throne and ask for this and that because, well, wouldn't it be nice if I had those other things too? Like you're just praying for a bonus, but apart from that, you're doing okay. And it's certainly true that there are a number of things that we pray about, and we should feel free to pray like this. A number of th- the things that we talk to God about that aren't a matter of life and death. So we can acknowledge that. And again, that's one of the wonders of prayer, that we have this freedom to go to the Almighty, who's our Father now, and talk to Him about all sorts of things, including things that are relatively unimportant, that aren't matters of life and death. But the point is, even along with those prayers and underlying them is something deeper, something more urgent, something born out of a profound sense of spiritual need. When it comes to things like forgiveness and being protected from the enemies of your soul and being changed so that sin is put to death, when it comes to those those things, Prayer is not, wouldn't it be nice? When it comes to those things, prayer is, God help me in this my time of need. And I wonder, is there any of that in your own prayer life? Can you even imagine hearing yourself saying that to God? God help me. Father, help me. Save me. I mean crying out like you're a psalmist. God, help me. Father, save me. I need you. I need you now. That's the language of a Christian who knows his need and who's not afraid to draw near to the throne of grace and say so. So let us say it, let us sing it, and shortly we will. Lord, help me. Lord, open up your hand that I may be supplied. And he will. And amen. Let's pray together.
Father, we stand amazed that your throne is now a throne of grace indeed. To think that we can draw near with confidence and that we can do so trusting your promise that you will deal mercifully and graciously with us just as we need, just in time. Help us then to trust in you. Help us then to rise up from this place, to rise up from this Sabbath day and go into the week ahead as a people who pray to you like this. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.